This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the state's top stories on the major election outcomes, the state's budget issues, the state of who controls the Democratic Party of Illinois, and more. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about what message is sent by Tuesday's vote. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here's some of the top stories from the past week. Tuesday's election brought several firsts for Illinois, with a record number of registered voters at 8.3 million. There were nearly 2.4 million mail-in ballots requested, also a record. Even before the polls opened Tuesday, there was a record number of early voters, with a total of 3.5 million, almost evenly split between mail-in ballots and in-person early voting. Money was also a big factor. For state house races, Isaac Wink, an analyst with Reform for Illinois, noted a large disparity in spending by the Democratic majority, getting $17.6 million in this election, while minority Republicans only got around $4 million. For the proposed constitutional amendment, Wink said, The governor spent big money on the proposed income tax change voters rejected. Opponents also spent big money. Um, you've got uh, Governor Pritzker putting $58 million into the pro side. Um, and you've got uh, Kenneth Griffin giving about $54 million on the uh, anti-side. So that's over $110 million just uh, on that ballot question alone, um, which uh, is the most expensive uh, ballot initiative that we've seen in Illinois history. Governor J.B. Pritzker said voters rejecting the progressive income tax could see taxes increase and deep budget cuts for the state's budget. Wednesday, the governor claimed the progressive income tax he spent $56 million to promote was the best way to fix the state's fiscal mess as it teeters on junk bond status. It went down to defeat. I understand the other side told the lies that they told. A lot of people believed that, um, and that's too bad. And Now we're going to have to suffer the pain that they've brought on. With the budget billions out of balance, Pritzker said there will be deep cuts he characterized as painful. He dismissed any efforts taxing retirement income, but left open the door for increased flat income taxes. Illinois Chamber of Commerce CEO Todd Meisch said tax increases were rejected by voters Tuesday and increasing taxes would be a huge mistake. Meisch said it's time to address spending. The government-funded health care is a huge cost driver uh, for our state right behind pensions, and he hasn't done enough to go ahead and hold down those costs. Fitch Ratings issued a statement and said Illinois will need to consider other options to balance its budget like more borrowing, spending cuts, more revenue options like increasing the flat tax. 
Pritzker said he's going to work with legislative leaders to find solutions, but he acknowledged there will be cuts and left open the door for tax increases. Following 55% of voters disapproving of the progressive income tax, Pritzker laid blame. Whatever happens here, the pain that is endured by the people of Illinois, by the working families of Illinois, is on the Republicans and the special interests and the billionaires that back the Republicans. Uh, that you know They've got to step forward and help. As to the possibility of a federal bailout, Taylorville Republican U.S. Representative Rodney Davis, who won election Tuesday, said a bailout is not the answer. I, I don't think whatever we could do nationally would, would change the trajectory of junk status and teetering on bad financial outcomes here in Illinois because of the failure and abject mismanagement state budget for so many years by Democrats here in Springfield. This year's budget is based on more than a billion dollars from the progressive tax that failed and $5 billion on federal aid that hasn't materialized. Illinoisans have thrown out one of their Supreme Court justices for the first time in state history. Here's what happens next. Cole Lauterbach has more. Third District Justice Thomas Kilbride faced millions of dollars in attack ads and fought back with millions in spending as well, but ultimately couldn't reach the 60% of the vote needed for retention. University of Illinois political science professor Dr. Kent Redfield explains what happens next. The court is going to appoint somebody for a two-year term. At that point, whoever that, that, then it will be an open seat. And so there will be a Democrat and a Republican primary in within the district in 2022, in the spring. Uh, and then you'll have a Democrat and Republican running against each other in the fall. According to Ballotpedia's state Supreme Court's project, Illinois is the only state in the Midwest that has a partisan judicial election for the Supreme Court and the only state in the nation that allows justices to appoint a replacement when any justice leaves for any reason. I'm Cole Lauterbach. For the Illinois State House, Republicans made gains against Democrats. House Minority Leader Jim Durkin said the results from those House races, the failure of the progressive income tax, and the failed retention of Justice Kilbride, that should send a message. Just Tuesday, voters across Illinois sent a message to the House Democrats. And that is, you can run, but you can't hide from Speaker Madigan. Despite having a significant financial advantage, Illinois residents and the House Democrats just witnessed a referendum against Michael Madigan. Final election results are still unknown, as hundreds of thousands of outstanding mail-in ballots may still be in transit, impacting local races across the state. The Illinois State Board of Elections will certify the vote totals December 4th. Governor Pritzker agrees with U.S. Senator Dick Durbin, who won election Tuesday, that Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan should no longer be the leader of the Democratic Party of Illinois. Madigan is the only state House Speaker that's also the chair of the state's major political party, a nexus of power that allows him to direct political dollars and control what moves through the Illinois House. He's also been implicated in a bribery scheme, ComEd admitted to. With the loss of the progressive income tax, several state house races, and at least one bid for a seat in Congress, Durbin told WTTW the Democratic Party paid a heavy price for the Speaker's chairmanship of the party. Madigan's been chair of the Democratic Party since 1998. Pritzker agreed with Durbin. You know, opponents were able to tap into voters' concerns about corruption and their lack of trust in government. Um, there are real challenges there, and you know that I have uh, proposed significant ethics reforms that I know that the legislature needs to take up. The Republicans and the billionaires that sided with them were, you know, effectively able to use uh, the speaker as their foil, and that hurt uh, our ability, our state's ability to 
uh, get things done. Thursday scheduled Illinois House Special Investigating Committee into Madigan's involvement in the ComEd bribery scheme didn't happen after all. Committee Chairman State Representative Chris Welch issued a statement Wednesday that the hearing was scheduled to happen after the election would be postponed. He said the document request from ComEd still being compiled and the former ComEd official who pleaded guilty to bribery in the case wasn't available. Committee Minority Spokesman Republican State Representative Tom Demers disappointed that they won't be meeting. He said they could still take action to get answers from key witnesses. And uh, there still remains an outstanding issue, which is the issuance of subpoenas to uh, many of the key witnesses, uh, the key key uh, people who could offer insight um, into what happened and further details about the deferred prosecution agreement. ComEd entered that agreement with federal prosecutors over the summer and testified in September at the last public hearing that it paid $1.3 million in bribes for Madigan Associates to influence the speaker. Madigan hasn't been charged with the crime and has denied wrongdoing. More coronavirus restrictions may be in the future for Illinoisans. Kevin Bessler has details. During his daily COVID-19 briefing Thursday, Governor J.B. Pritzker said his administration may implement stronger mitigations if virus numbers continue to increase. If the numbers keep going in the wrong direction, we will need to impose further mitigations. I think we all remember what phase three looked like or phase two looked like. Those are all things that are under consideration. Indoor service at bars and restaurants in the entire state is prohibited by the governor. But many are staying open in order to survive, a fact that isn't lost by Pritzker. They know that if there was enforcement, if there were actual consequences for their actions at the local level, and they're supposed to enforce state laws. And when they don't enforce them, people die. Illinois now has surpassed 10,000 deaths during the pandemic. I'm Kevin Bessler. Potential fines for businesses that don't follow COVID-19 masking mandates. It's been placed for months in the city of Springfield. They went a step further and will now impose fines for individuals who don't wear a mask. Springfield City Council passed a mandate not just for businesses, but for individuals with a $50 fine if they're caught by police without a mask inside a bar, restaurant, or retailer. Alderman Joe McMiniman said the ordinance cuts through having multiple steps for immediate enforcement. I think this is trying to get right to the police officer eyeballing the violation, someone being maskless and writing the citations. Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder said the ordinance that passed Tuesday requires individuals to wear a mask indoors at a bar, restaurant, or retailer. He said the civil penalty will be in place as long as necessary and enforcement is immediate. Right now, a restaurant can be cited. Right now, uh, the addition is really the $50 per violation for the individual. Illinois Municipal League Executive Director Brad Cole applauded the city for the mandate. I think the action tonight to impose stricter penalties and restrictions with regard to face coverings is probably one of the few communities, this is one of the few communities that has done that. So that's a big step forward. Illinois Retail Merchants Association's Rob Carr said the move puts the onus on the individual, not the business owner. You can't physically detain them. You open yourselves up to a lot of different charges of discrimination. Um, so it is where it belongs, having the, the enforcement done by law enforcement and on individuals. Carr said he'd like to see a statewide mandate, but urged other communities to follow suit. And when a state lawmaker gets a debit card with fraudulent unemployment benefits, they can contact the state's agency directly. The rest that get those cards and are victims of fraud, well, they'll have to wait for a callback. State Senator Dan McConkie said he recently got a card with benefits despite being employed. It's interesting that as a sitting uh, elected official, even I, you know, are being targeted in this way. And I'm not the only one. There's 
He was able to contact the Illinois Department of Employment Security Director to sort through the issues. He encouraged victims of the scheme to file a claim online, but in one instance, an employed Illinoisan who got a fraudulent card had to wait a full month for a callback. Others waited hours on hold for somebody to pick up to get issues sorted out. McConkie said people should also reach out to their state lawmakers to expedite a remedy because there could be tax implications. Preliminary numbers showed more than 76,000 Illinoisans filed for first-time unemployment benefits last week. It's 23,000 more than the week before and weeks of consecutive increases. And it's been months of increased filings, delays, and reports of fraud. And McConkie said the administration needs to be held accountable with public hearings. Have them bring a wish list. Have them come and say, in order to fix our systems, in order to fix our processes, here are the type of things that we need from the General Assembly. And, you know, I, I don't know what that list would be, but I think hearings would be a great start to getting a, help, helping them get where they need to be. There haven't been any public hearings on the issue the entire pandemic. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Illinois In Focus podcast. This is the Crosstalk segment. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square, joined by executive editor Dan McCaleb. Dan, what's happening? Hey, still recovering from uh, election night and the aftermath that was the last uh, couple of days afterwards, um, but doing well other than that. Well, I'm glad to hear that, and uh, plenty to talk about. You know, if you if you sat back and you watched uh election results roll in and you watched it on one of the the local network affiliates uh here in chicago or or out of chicago um uh, I, I found it really curious that the focus was on um the presidential race uh not that that doesn't matter and we're going to talk about that in a bit but i mean the, really the lead story you know in illinois had to be the it had to be this the the progressive income tax proposal and as that turned out uh not so great for uh, governor jb pritzker this was his prime initiative in coming into office he was going to uh, attempt in his view to remedy uh the state's fiscal circumstances by increasing taxes on higher earners in the state was presented as a tax on millionaires and billionaires. The reality of it was that the electorate saw through that and it was soundly defeated. Dan, let's talk about that. And let's talk about Governor Pritzker's reaction to his initiative yeah, going down first, in flames. Let's start, first start with the vote. It wasn't just rejected. It was soundly rejected. Only uh, 45% of voters statewide uh, voted in favor of it. 55% rejected it. It needed, it didn't need a simple majority. It needed 60% of voters to vote in favor of it. There was a 15% uh, shortfall in the amount of votes it needed. Two point, uh, more than 2.7 million voters saw through the, uh, the progressive income tax supporter side of things, knew it was a tax hike, knew it would be sending billions of more dollars to Springfield, a state government that has spent poorly 
spent taxpayer money poorly for decades. And and the fact is, voters saw through it. Pritzker in the aftermath said, quote, it went down to defeat. I understand the other side told the lies that they told. A lot of people believe that, and that's too bad. And now we're going to have to suffer the pain that was brought on, end quote. <laughs> How's the pain today, Dan? Are you are you are you, are you all right? Are you able to walk around and move? Are you are are you are you well enough to continue? Because I think this is worth pulling on just a little bit more. Well, I'm actually feeling upbeat, particularly about this particular uh, result. Um, if if voters had not seen through uh, the lies of the other side, we'd be facing significant job losses in Illinois because small business owners who would be impacted the most by this um, would have to cut jobs or would even consider relocating because of Illinois' highest in the nation taxes. So I'm feeling good about it uh, for once. Um, Illinois taxpayers won something here in uh, the state of Illinois. And um, now Pritzker and the Democrats that control uh, the legislature are going to have to make some tough decisions, decisions that should have been made um, many, many, many years ago that they kept putting off uh, because they kept trying to take more taxpayer money um, uh, to fill the black hole that is the state budget. Um, now uh, they've got no choice. They've got to make some tough decisions. I think that the biggest moment in this, um, you know, with regard to turning the tide on, you know, on the, in the public's view, was the reality that you know this alone was not going to be able to dig the state out of a hole, and the. Talk about this ultimately having an impact on retirement taxation, you know, or, ta or taxation of, of retirement income. I think that that really is sort of the sort of the buried statistic that uh, that that you could pull out of the overall vote because the state overwhelmingly went um, with Joe Biden and and voted um, D. In uh, in particular, in Cook County, Kim the the Kim Fox state's attorney uh, election in, in Cook County, I think is is sort of where I would hang hang my hat on that on that sentiment that she was able to make it through. But voters broke off from straight D voting in Cook County in particular because this progressive income tax was fuzzy and not necessarily presented in a way that resonated as truthful with voters. Right. The, uh, Governor Pritzker and, and the supporters uh, of the, of the uh, progressive tax constitutional amendment build it as, as you said up front, a millionaire's and a billionaire's tax. Only those uh, high earners would pay more. But the fact is, um, when uh, Illinois government uh, realized that because of their bad spending choices, uh, that this wasn't going to be enough, they'd be able to go back and raise taxes on all wage brackets. Yep. At any time, uh, any time the legislature is in session, they can adjust uh, uh, those rates. Illinois does not have a revenue problem. Illinois has a spending problem. Uh, why are we not talking now about pension reform? We have to be talking about pension reform now, now that voters rejected the progressive tax. We have $140 billion in unfunded pension debt uh, in this state. That's what the problem is. That and continued uh, budget increases. You know, you, you know, we're in a pandemic, right? And um, states all around us have been cutting expenses for months now. 
Illinois mm. hasn't cut one penny from its budget. Mm -hmm. uh, even as re revenues decrease because Governor Pritzker shut down businesses he deemed non-essential, essentially no restaurants in the state right now because of Pritzker's mandates uh, are, are allowed to uh, hold in-restaurant in, in dining. Um, it's, it's November here in Northern Illinois. Uh, how much money is, are restaurants going to make and how many taxes are they going to pay by only servicing people outdoors? In November, heading into December and January and February, it's anyway. I'm getting off point. Um, uh, Illinois is about the only state uh, in the Midwest that have not adjusted spending during the, the pandemic. They've got to do it. They've got to start making across the board cuts, and pension reform needs to be the the top priority. Yeah, now I would say, you know, just to kind of add back into that, I think you know one of the heroes of truth in the entire. Uh, campaign for uh, uh, progressive income tax has to be Illinois State Treasurer Michael Frerichs, who very candidly with a small group of business owners uh, at a, I believe it was a chamber meeting in, uh, in Des Plaines this summer said, yeah, I mean, you, you have to look at uh, taxation on retirement income as a piece of the puzzle to fill this gap. And um, Frerichs has been very quiet since. Um, there was an opportunity for him to speak. I want to say it was about three or four weeks ago. Uh, and then he was effectively gagged, uh, presumably uh, either by the Democratic Party of the state of Illinois, which he is a part of, Michael Frerichs is a Democrat, or the governor himself. Um, we have not heard anything from him but I would absolutely have to credit him as a hero for truth in that he was willing to talk about this in real terms. And I do believe that that shaped the outcome of, uh, of the, of the vote ultimately. Well, I'm sure it, I'm sure it was uh, certainly one of the reasons that voters or one of the uh, possibilities that voters, particularly uh, older voters, retired voters uh, uh, kept in mind when they went to the polls or when they mailed in their mail-in ballots um, was that very real possibility? Like we said, you know, Pritzker, Pritzker and the Democrats proposed uh, the rates uh, uh, that they were going to have initially, but at any moment they could change their minds and retire or, and ta tax things like retirement income and increase taxes on the middle class on lower wage earners. So a voter saw through it. Uh, it's just a fact, and and because. Pritzker and the Democrats put all their eggs in that one basket. Um, they're they're kind of um, uh, in a tough spot right now, but they have to deal with it. They have they've put, been putting these decisions off off for years and decades. I, Governor Pritzker, I mean, also blamed the Rauner administration. The fair tax people also blamed right. the Rauner administration for putting us in the shape. Rauner was office in office for four years. Illinois' fiscal problems have been decades in the making. Uh, speaker, House Speaker Mike Madigan, a Democrat, has been Speaker for all but two years since 1983. Uh, you can't blame Brown or, uh, Governor Rauner for the position we're in. Governor Rauner even signed off on an income tax increase right. uh, in 2017 uh, against many conservatives um, uh, uh, who, who didn't support that income tax increase. Governor Rauner signed off on an income tax increase increase simply to get a budget done i mean yeah. because uh, because they you know i mean uh, because it was blocked i mean it was effectively blocked in doing anything that he wanted to do and and that's what 
state government looks like when you have you know super majorities on the on the other side i mean there's just simply no way no way to win um from a standpoint of outcome of this election uh, elsewhere outside of the progressive tax which you know we agree is issue was issue number one what what's the uh what's the shakeout look like uh in uh the house membership here right. in, in illinois right so we're, we're taping this on uh thursday november 5th there still are um, more than a hundred thousand, maybe even hundreds of thousands of mail-in votes that are still being counted. So there are races that are still uh, too close to call. Um, so it could change. Um, but right now, as of when we're recording this, uh, Democrats in the House have lost a net um, two seats um, uh, after two years ago, gaining more than ten seats uh, to, to have a supermajority. But um, so right now they've lost a net two seats statewide. Um, after defeats in some 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 key areas, uh, state Rep representative Monica uh, Bristow lost her seat. State Rep representative Nathan Reitz lost his seat. Uh, Madigan spent millions of dollars. Madigan, of course, is the Speaker of the House. He's also the chairman of the state Democratic Party. He controls three campaign pain funds that have millions of dollars in it. He spent millions of dollars uh, in a in a race in the suburbs to try and defeat Republican Representative Mark Batnick of Plainfield. Um, uh, but Batnick, again, it's it's fewer than a thousand votes at this point and votes are still coming in, but a bat, Batnick appears to have won despite the war chest uh, that Madigan put up against him. Yeah, and, that, and I think that's kind of an interesting, I mean, that's that's absolutely, it's an interesting piece of, of, of what we're still, still pursuing. I mean, the way that votes are being counted here in Illinois, we talked about this uh off of the podcast earlier today and you know to give people an idea that that they're going to continue to count votes until the 17th of november and um then the certification process of that won't be completely um made until december 4th so we got a long long way to go and and we have a number of races i mean you know we, we're focused on, you know, kind of talking about the state legislature and whatnot, but, you know, the, the uncounted ballots and, and ballots still coming in in Illinois will have impact elsewhere. I mean, thinking about, in particular, the race for the 14th congressional district where Republican Jim Oberweiss, um, longtime um, Illinois uh, businessman and, and member of the state legislature, uh, trying to unseat um, freshman Democrat Lauren Underwood that vote is within a thousand on the count. And, um, you know, we still have a very, very long way to go. Yeah. Overwise did declare victory on Wednesday, uh, the challenger to the incumbent Lauren Underwood, but Lauren Underwood has not conceded yet. He was up by, uh, 850 votes, which is a small amount in a, in a congressional district, but, uh, the Jim Overwise his counters feel that there's not enough outstanding ballots uh, for Lauren Underwood to catch up. Lauren Underwood disagrees. Again, as we said, you know, in discussion about the House races, there's still time to count these mail-in ballots that haven't been counted yet. Um, and uh, November 17th, as you said, is the, the drop-dead date for them to count the ballots. And December 4th is the certification date. So we'll probably know more earlier than that. Um, but at this point, uh, Jim Overwise thinks he's uh, in a good place. Yeah, and I mean, it, and it, to take it back into things that are known, um, you know, the, the the vote count, you know, uh, 
for the state Supreme Court saw Justice uh, Thomas Kilbride um, not being retained. He needed 60% to hold on to his seat. He had squeaked it out 10 years ago, um, I believe with a 62 or 63% retention score. And uh, this year, uh, uh, no dice, he got 55%. So there was some like a crazy amount of money spent on a on a, a state supreme court seat, almost eleven million dollars, making it one in within the state one of the most expensive races. But Kilbride, as it, as it, you know, as it stands, this is not coming back. Uh, Kilbride uh, is is effectively out. Yeah, he can run again in in two years if he chooses. But this this has got to be chalked up as another huge loss for uh, Speaker Madigan. Speaker Madigan put uh, millions of dollars uh, into retaining. Uh, Justice Gilbride um, lost this one, lost the progressive tax. Uh, to date, has lost two seats in the House. Um, so definitely another big loss for uh, Madigan. Gilbride has um, been considered as close Madigan ally. Gilbride uh, was among the majority that threw out uh, attempts for redistricting reform in the state. Madigan controls, as Speaker of the House, controls the redistrict redistricting process um, after the U.S. Census uh, new data comes out every 10 years. Um, so he gerrymanders the districts. There have been a numerous attempts over the past decade to, to reform that, to put it in a, the hands of a nonpartisan uh, commission. Um, uh, one of those attempts, they got enough votes uh, they got enough signatures, excuse me, to get it on the ballot, redistricting reform, and Gilbride killed it. Um, so he's definitely a Madigan ally, and his being ousted uh, now um, is is a, another big blow to, to Madigan. What happens next is the Supreme Court will appoint uh, Gilbride's successor to a two-year term. So that's a partisan uh, that's a partisan thing right there. Uh, but in two years. If Gilbride chooses, he, he'll be able to run um, uh, in a primary, and if he wins the primary, he'll be run be able to run uh, in a general election. Um, but he'll have to face competition. Right. Yeah. And 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 and, and you know, Kilbride's been in that seat for you know uh, a, a long a long time, two terms. Um, so that's uh, that's a loss. I mean, I think one of the the, the biggest losses you know um, throughout this cycle has been simply the loss of, of Michael Madigan's voice. Um, you know, he's continues to play duck and cover and, um, hearings that were intended to bring speaker Madigan forward. So he can answer to the com ed, uh, controversy, uh, which I guess is you know, a lot to answer for. They were canceled this week. Um, Committee Chairman uh, Chris Welch, the uh, representative from Hillside, issued a statement uh, on Wednesday saying that um, that they that these hearings, which were scheduled for this week, would be uh, postponed. So um, we're still trying to figure out, you know, as I think as a state, you know, exactly what was going on behind the scenes of uh, ComEd's deals, uh, the deals that they were making uh, for subsidy. Uh, there, this this is a, a matter, you know, where that we're obviously, you know, the the FBI has been involved. You've had it. You've had indictments around this. Speaker Madigan has not been indicted, but he is um, he is uh, of of great interest to those uh, proceedings. And we have not, as a state, heard anything. 
from him as of yet. Yeah, he's he's really been uh, silent since since the pandemic began. Um, uh, this the House, the State House, and the Senate canceled most of the session. Uh, returned for two days to pass a budget. Uh, Madigan's been. Um, I don't know if he's locked in his basement or his attic or, or where he's hiding out at, but he has not been in the public eye spotlight. Um, Chris, what representative Chris Welsh, um, scheduled this, this latest hearing for after the election. Um, so there's less media attention surrounding the corruption situation here and any ties to speaker Madigan. And then the day after the election, he decides to postpone it again. So that's a bit fishy to me. Um, Voters, taxpayers in Illinois deserve to have answers. What Madigan, what Speaker Madigan's ties were to this ComEd corruption uh, probe, um, and now we're just going to delay it even further. Yeah. Elsewhere in Illinois, Dan, interesting things coming out of out of the election. Um, you know, uh, downstate, uh, there were several <laughs> counties in Illinois that passed non-binding resolutions, and and these were not by uh, small margins, by wide margins to create a new state separate from Chicago and Cook County called New Illinois. They've got a really uh, cool logo, uh, kind of looks like uh, the Milwaukee Bucks logo. Right. Um, it's a very fierce deer. So are, are, is, uh, uh, is the state of Illinois as a whole, do they need to fear the deer? Dan, what's going on here? Well, I, I think what it's they're non-binding resolutions, as you said. So it's more a symbolic gesture. But what it does is it shows you that these downstate taxpayers and downstate voters are frustrated and up to their eyeballs with state government, which is dominated by Chicago Democrats. Yeah. Um, you know, Speaker Madigan's a Chicago Democrat. Governor Pritzker's a, a, a Chicago Democrat. They hold all the power. Um, um, and so it was more a symbolic gesture. We're sick of it. We're tired of being the, the, the policies that the Chicago Democrats are forcing on us downstaters. Um, we want to secede um, from the state. Again, non-binding, mostly that, symbolic. That's what that vote says to you. Yes. We want out. Yes. But not really. We just want you to change what's going on up there and to have a better representation across the entire state. Well, there are I, – I, I don't know that that's the case. There are – certainly that's – part of the case, but there are some people who are all in on this and want mm -hmm. to secede from the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm. But for that to happen, um, Illinois' Democratic-controlled legislature, Chicago-dominated state legislature, would have to approve it. And then U.S. Congress uh, would also have to approve it. The, mm -hmm. the, the chances of that happening are extremely small, slim or none, right? Um, but I think, I think many in this movement are very serious about it. It's just unlikely to happen. But you're saying there's still a chance. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I always find these things to be kind of kind of fascinating. And and um, you know the the vote itself. You know, it's kind of pull back from this just a little bit and talk. You know, just about you know what what did we learn? You know that that we that we know, or you know what did we learn that we think we know? Um, without a doubt, the the progressive tax. I mean, being the foremost issue. Um, I think for voters in Illinois, I mean, aside from those people who simply wanted to show up and, and cast a, a vote either for uh, Biden or Trump. I mean, this is the, you know, the presidential election drives the most traffic and, and the numbers in Illinois across the board are up as they are across the country. We have crazy high participation this year. Um, from a takeaway standpoint, you know, the residual effect of maybe more conservative voters coming out um, not enough of them necessarily to have an impact 
uh, on statewide races, the fact that they had an impact on local races, I found to be very, very interesting. You know, in, in McHenry County, uh, Jack Franks, uh, the, the McHenry County uh, board chairman, um, that, you know, being an elected position uh, in McHenry County, it doesn't work like that everywhere, but in McHenry County, it is an elected position. He lost his seat to a gentleman by the name of uh, Mike Bueller, who had never run for anything before and um, lost uh, decisively by about 10,000 votes. Um, We talked about um, Jim Oberweiss and uh, Lauren Underwood in the 14th district. I was, to be honest with you, very surprised by that. But, you know, the the strategy um, that Governor Pritzker employed you know, to get uh, a progressive tax passed is seems to have be backfiring in a number of different directions because in in markets where uh, voting blocks can make a difference and they make a difference, you know, in in the smaller segmentations of the overall state. Um, if Jim Oberweiss goes through, that's a, in my view, that's a stunning, that's a stunning win. I was very surprised that Jack Franks, um, uh, lost and, and lost to, to the, uh, to the, to the degree that he did. And I, I think that some of the other races, uh, around the state that were close or went to Republicans, probably driven in some way by the mobilization of, not necessarily Republican voters or people that had a sort of a, you know, a a great feeling about the Republican, but went to vote against the tax and ticked Republican boxes along the way. One thing that was interesting to me post-election after everything you said with, you know, the progressive tax going down in flames, Oberweiss's possible apparent upset of Lauren Underwood in the 14th Congressional District, someone like, you know, former state, longtime state rep Jack Franks, now the uh, McKinney County Board Chairman for a few more weeks, uh, him losing, um, things like that. Senator Dick Durbin came out yesterday, Wednesday, uh, the day after the election, um, and essentially uh, said the Democrats paid heavy prices uh, because of Speaker Mike Mattian. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a, that was a bit of a stunner for me, but it, mm-hmm. even new Democrats, territory, yeah. new territory for sure. I mean, this is a this is a, a group of people that have largely walked in lockstep for for a long time. I mean, you're probably not going to find in the in the United States a, a, a tighter uh, a tighter group, and and it does seem to be coming unwound. I mean, we talked about uh, Treasurer Frerichs and, and his comments, and then we didn't talk about um, Deputy Governor. Um, God, what is her first name? Juliana, excuse me. We didn't talk about Deputy Governor Juliana Stratton uh, effectively saying um, right before the election that, well, you can either accept this progressive income tax or we're going to tax you anyway. Um, That seems to have been, uh, you know, uh, not necessarily uh, resonant. Um, Just it's not it just doesn't seem to be as tightly put together as it once was. No, uh, it, it, it's it, there are several cracks that have happened this year, largely because, or not, I shouldn't say largely because, in part because of this uh, federal corruption probe into Illinois state government. A number of uh, Democratic state lawmakers have already been indicted. Some have pleaded guilty. Uh, Madigan's been tied to it. Um, um, there are now elected House Democrats who you never, ever heard them speak out against 
uh, Speaker, Speaker Madigan in the past, but now you have one that's going to run against him. Madigan, of course, won his race uh, as he always does. Um, he was uncontested this time, so he's going to put his name in the hat for the Speaker. When the legislature meets again in January, the first order of business for the House is to pick their Speaker. That's going to be contested this time for the first time uh, by another Democrat. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, uh, as we said, to, to date, uh, Democrats lost a net two seats. That's two more Republicans that can vote against Madigan. So it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, that vote for Speaker goes. Let's pull it back up to the national level and, and take a look at things. As we are discussing this, um, again, just to be, to be clear, uh, today is Thursday, November 5th. We are about two days uh, outside of election day, not quite two days, We're taping this in the morning. So things are moving minute by minute in different states around the country. As we're taping this and it's November 5th and it's in the morning, we're not yet even two days removed from the end of voting on Tuesday night. Former Vice President Joe Biden has a 264 to 214 lead over uh, Donald Trump. It's feels like at this point that there's still a long a long way to go. There there are counts that are open and ongoing in Georgia. There's counts that are open and ongoing in North Carolina. There are votes that are open and ongoing in Pennsylvania. Um, Nevada is is also in play, and um, and I think there are some you know that um, you know and, and and technically I think Alaska is still in play. So you know there's there's not necessarily you know any any need to do any prognostication on this because by the time that that you know people listen to this podcast the story will advance let's talk about process and just to try to understand this every single state in the united states has a, a sort of ownership of the way that votes are brought in and counted and um this has been a, I think for a lot of Americans, if not all Americans, a pretty stressful past couple of days. I hope everyone out there is hanging in there, to be honest with you. What could we do differently uh, as a country? What did we learn from this process as this process is uh, unfolding? Well, because of the pandemic and uh, Dem Democrats' um, obsession with getting rid of uh, Donald Trump, uh, mail-in vote, voting expanded exponentially um, this year. Um, almost 100 million mail-in votes um, uh, across the country. And that's what's that's really what's delaying the process right now. Um, so one, if we're going to keep that in future elections, we have to fine-tune it. Um, uh, mail-in ballots sh should be mailed in days before the election, so we don't have this uh, uh, these states still counting hundreds in Pennsylvania's case, I think it's still more than a million uh, mail-in ballots. Um, it causes stress, of course, uncertainty uh, uh, regarding who the next leader of the country is going to be. Um, so that's one thing that we learned from it. Um, uh, the other thing, I mean, Joe Biden really uh, is the odds-on favorite right now to win, right? You oh, have, no, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any question. You, you I mean, have the, you have five states that have still not been called. Um, all all Biden needs to do is win one of them, even Nevada. He, Biden's got 264 electoral votes right now. Nevada has six. You need 270. Do the math. That's 270. Nevada has a Democratic governor, Democratic um, legislature. It's considered mostly a blue state. Now it was still tight with thousands, hundreds of thousands of votes still to be counted there. But um, 
this is going to be decided in the courts. Uh, uh, Trump's already filed challenges uh, in in was or asked for a recount in Wisconsin. He's already filed suit against uh, Pennsylvania election commissioners and Michigan election commissioners because of all these late votes in, in the county. Um, his campaign claims that he hasn't been uh, uh, he's been his his campaign team hasn't been allowed to view the counts and the opening of these mail ballots in in various parts of both Pennsylvania and Michigan. So this is going to play out in the courts. That's my biggest issue with this is that is that, you know, the optics of this election are really terrible um, for the United States. And and I think it, would, it really it, it's what ultimate final decisions are, 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 are made about outcomes, whether Biden wins or whether Trump wins. There is going to be a significant portion of the country who voted on the other side, who feel, who will feel that this election was taken out of their hands. Um, you know, just looking at the numbers now, and again, just to be very clear, we're talking about this on Thursday, November 5th, but 99% of the votes in Georgia have been counted. Trump is ahead by about 15,000 votes. In Nevada, only 75% of the votes have been counted and Biden leads by eight in North Carolina, 94% of the votes been counted and Trump has a, a lead of about, it looks like about seven, call it 75, 70, 76, maybe 77,000. Uh, in Pennsylvania, only 87% in a, in a key, like, I mean, it's, it's worth 20 electoral college votes. Uh, only 87% of the votes have been counted there, and Trump has a lead of about 120,000. In Arizona, which was called very early in the evening relative to what was going on, only 88% of the votes have been counted, and Biden has a lead of about 60, call it 68,000 votes. So from a process standpoint, this is bad. I mean, this is just this is just not good for it's not good for the country. It's not good for the for the you know for the uh, for the for the people who have gone out in record numbers. I mean, we've had you know nationally based on the the votes that have been that have been counted so far. Yeah, you know, and, and one hundred and forty million people, um, you know, put their back into into in some way, shape, or form to participate, and to not have a resolution and to, and to have concerns about what that resolution might be for all the reasons that you talked about, the way that votes are now being counted, the way that, that, that those vote counts are being communicated access, who gets to watch, who doesn't get to watch the scene up in Detroit, you know, where they, they, you know, put paper across the windows, um, you know, at the arena where they were doing this count up, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be done. Uh, yeah, agreed. And, and um, going back to Arizona, which, as you said, was called very early. Trump still thinks he has a uh, um, a chance in Arizona. So that would flip the uh, the numbers in terms of the electoral vote count. That if, if if Trump does somehow come back in Arizona and wins Arizona, that 264 uh, electoral ballots that we talked about um, for Joe Biden that goes down. So that would be a a potential. Um, game changer. What was interesting about covering the election, uh, for one of the interesting things about covering the election on um, Tuesday night was that um, 
ma major media outlets, right? They monitor the vote and um, they call the races as, as they think um, one candidate over another um, is going to win. Has, the other candidate has no chance with the, with the outstanding votes still that out there. They have no chance to catch up. Um, the, blue, the blue states were falling, were being called like, you know, quickly. Right. Um, uh, states like states like Florida and Ohio and Indiana, Indiana of all states, red red as you can be. Um, Trump had significant leads in those states, and and those states weren't called till well well into the evening. So right. so that that was that, that's one thing about the process that I find curious. Well, and yeah, and let's talk about that, right? I mean, you know, this has been you know this has been a rough year for a, a lot of people um, without question i mean it's uh, not not to be a uh, you know uh, a moron about that but um it's been a rough year for industry it's been a rough year for service it's been a rough year you know just in general but it's been an absolutely rough year for media and the way that uh, and let's get a little bit, bit more specific around that Television, in particular, is driving a, a lot of a lot of the opinion. And what you watch on television, in particular, um, on cable networks, is driven not necessarily by the news because the news can't fill a twenty-four hour cycle. Okay, there's 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 plenty of news out there, and yes, you could, you know, go headline by headline and 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 convey the news and convey the news objectively, but that doesn't that doesn't win ratings opinion around that news drives ratings. And as I was watching the election unfold and I was switching, I started with NBC. So I was watching NBC here in Chicago. So I was watching the NBC news team, um, Lester Holt, Savannah Guthrie. And, uh, oh, forgive me. The guy that, uh, the, the guy that, uh, uh, Chuck Todd. Um, and the, and I would agree with you, uh, with the way that they were, declaring winners by state. And remember, each one of these television networks is doing this on their own. They have, you know, what they say, you know, is it like a, a decision desk or, and I believe that's what Fox News calls theirs. Um, and um, they make calls based on their best guesses of, of how things are going to go. And I would agree with you that they were far more eager or willing or describe it however you want they were more expeditious in calling blue states than they were in calling red states. If you watched it objectively, it, um, it just didn't seem, it didn't seem balanced. It just didn't seem fair to me. Yeah. Some states were even called by, um, by exit polling. Not a single vote was counted in California or at least not posted publicly in California. And that, that state was called a minute after the polls closed. Now California is a blue state. Um, we knew, we knew, pretty certainly that uh, the state was going to go for Biden. But how can you call a state like that uh, when a single vote hasn't been counted? When Florida, where Trump had a hundred plus thousand uh, vote lead with 95% of the vote in, uh, wasn't called until almost 100% of the vote was in. So it doesn't make sense to me. It is what it is. Um, uh, hopefully we have a true winner uh, when every single vote is counted. But it, I think it just, it just, it just drives you know, the contempt that, that people have for right. the media. And in my view, when, when they, when they talk about the, the, you know, when people talk about the media, I think in my, in my understanding, my interpretation of that, when I, when I ask people to elaborate more and what I hear from them, 
it's largely television. It's largely television. And then certainly, you know, um, any of the of the of the print products that have a tonality that is clearly leaning. And in our in our country, the vast majority of the of the uh, print products that people have a problem with are left leaning. You know, New oh, York no Times, New York Times, and, and the Washington Post are probably, you know, uh, you know, I, I would say that the the two biggest examples when it comes to to uh, discussions about what's going on in the country or what's going on in the world. And this election did nothing to repair that. You know, the this the run up to and through the election. Um, did absolutely nothing to repair that. And the, the polarization uh, around media is going to be something that we continue to talk about, I think, as a society ongoing. And as this unfolds, you know, the, and I'm talking about specifically, you know, the final tabulations and the final decisions around this, they're, dri- they're driving some level of, 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 of dissent. They're, they're driving some level of... Uh, um, division and divisiveness, you know, in, in the country. And I'm, I'm worried about that. I'm, I'm extremely worried about that. I I just don't feel like it's good. Uh, it's good journalism. I mean, look, you and I've been in the business for a long time. I mean, objectivity, balance, fairness. I mean, these are the things that we talk about daily. These are the things that we strive for at the center square. When we watch what's going on in, in other newsrooms with regard to output in editorial product, this very, very thin line that's crossed by television more than any, any other media by television, the fact versus opinion. It's just, it's unbelievable what gets presented factually. But unfortunately on the, on the major, particularly on the major cable TV networks, um, you, you turn, you turn the program on after five o'clock, there is no straight news, right? It's all, it's all opinion uh, based on their version of the facts, you know, it could be CNN, it could be MSNBC, it can be Fox News. Um, uh, there's, it's not straight news anymore. It's opinion, um, and uh, of course, you can take data and facts and uh, any kind of information and skew it um, to fit your audience. Um, unfortunately, you know, conservatives mostly watch Fox News. Liberals mostly watch either C- they have their choice between CNN or MSNBC. Um, so you're preaching to the audience uh, that already agrees with your side. Right. You're not getting dissenting opinions, right. um, and and that's been going on for well over a decade now. And I, I think it has hurt um, uh, Americans' ability to to decipher information and make their own type of decisions. Well, it distorts the news. It, right. it, it truly distorts the news. I mean, the you know Fox News doesn't bring on strong liberal voices. Um, CNN and MSNBC does not bring on strong conservative voices when they when they have in the past. And I would say that this has changed drastically uh, in the last 12 years. And I'll take it back to the kind of the beginning of 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 the, you know, of the run of of, uh, Barack Obama for president. I would I would pin it to about that era that the discussions went away. The conversations went away and. They would bring in people on either side, whether they were a left-leaning network or a right-leaning network, and they would bring in people that were basically pinatas. And then they would just beat them into submission on both sides. And for what purpose? To amplify a point of view? That's bad. 
That's just right. bad. That is that's bad. And TV is the absolute worst at this. The absolute worst. Remember the uh, old Hannity and Combs show before oh. Sean Hannity became his own. Host? Oh boy, boy. <laughs> Whatever happened to Alan Combs? I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that 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 Combs is even still alive. But I mean, at, at the very least, Fox tried to have a show where there was, you know, a, a kind of a, 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 a kind, kind of. Uh, a, a point of resistance against against Sean Hannity, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, just uh, yeah, it didn't work out. I mean, has CNN even attempted to do that? I, I, I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. No. And and you know, Fox News now has Donna Brazil on the the, the former DNC chair, you know, whose claim to fame was basically handing Hillary Clinton the uh, the the uh, questions that were going to be asked at the debate, you know, to ensure that she would get past Bernie Sanders uh, four years ago. She's the voice, I guess, of, of, of liberals in particular of, of Democrats on Fox. And wow, it's just tough to look at. It really, it really, really is. Yeah. There's really not much more to be said about it. It's um, it, it is what it is. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Viewers tend to uh, to to navigate towards the folks that they want to hear, not the folks that they need to hear. Um, so they're not getting they're not getting a balanced report. Well, Dan, I'll tell you what I appreciate it. It's always it's my my favorite hour of the week. Uh, thanks for coming aboard and uh, and sharing this time with me. Enjoyed it as always. For Dan McHale, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to commentary in the Crosstalk segment on Illinois in Focus, powered by the Center Square. And now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square in Illinois will be working on next week. Next week, we'll continue to track the fallout from Tuesday's election as more ballots continue to come in to local jurisdictions, and they prepare to transmit that data to the Illinois State Board of Elections. We'll also continue to coverage the fallout of Governor J.B. Pritzker's COVID-19 mitigations and lawsuits against those mitigation efforts. And the state legislature plans to come back later this month. We'll focus on what they plan on addressing. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.